Hey, Paul, uh, do you remember that episode that we did on Police Quest where we just kind of didn't do any prep for anything? We just went in, talked about how awesome it was. And we just filled an entire episode that way. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I remember that. So that went really well. So it gave me an idea for this episode in which we are going to talk about another game that is also really awesome. Uh, in this case, it's going to be the Colonel's Bequest. And guess what? I brought a friend. Oh, lovely. So surprise. <laughs> So it's a great pleasure to welcome back to the show a good friend of mine and the one-person dev team behind the Crimson Diamond, Julia Minamata. Hi, hi. Hello, dear. How have you been? I've been really well, Paul. It's good to hear from you. Nice to hear from you, too. This is a lovely surprise. I feel like I'm on like a game show and <laughs> from my high school past just got brought out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I thought it would be a nice little surprise, a little last minute, but I thought it would be uh, great to talk about one of... Um, one of my favorite games, one of Julia's favorite games. I'm assuming it's one of your favorite games, Paul. Don't say otherwise. If you're, there's some serious trouble in it for you if you say it's not one of your favorite games. You know, as much as I like to cause trouble, I, I do actually love that game. <laughs> so just before we get into the Colonel's Bequest, how is everything going with the Crimson Diamond? It is going rather well. Uh, I, I, uh, I got into a contest thingy called the Toronto Ubisoft Indie Series. And what it is, it's sort of like a little competition for little for small studios to kind of pitch a game to Ubisoft and I guess some people from National Bank who are co-sponsoring it, just to kind of see if they can help support the the indie game community in Toronto. So it's kind of a cool thing. So I've been busy making up a pitch for that and uh, and squashing a few bugs here and there when I get feedback for the Crimson Diamond. And um, it's going rather well. I, I kind of... Uh, before I learned about the pitch thing, I, I've been working on adding some content and some of you lucky beta people uh, have access to that. And I want, you know, if you guys ever manage to play it, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's already been, um, it's already a different demo that's available now compared to uh, when we first, when you were first on the show. How, how many different versions has this been now? There have been eight beta versions, but <laughs> I will say so. The demo that's up on the site right now is still the same demo section that everyone's seen already or most people have seen already, but uh, it's sometimes some features get added, some bugs get taken away, but I've only have a few people sort of testing that the next sections of the game. And uh, I think I said it to you guys, but anyway, um, that's, that's sort of, sort of future stuff that I'm working on. Um, this, uh, the demo is still being tested and people are still managing to find bugs, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not going to be new to anyone who's who has played the demo already. Not too new anyway. Right, love the game. I love how large it is. The the I was really kind of taken back at the the size of the. I guess could I say cabin? Yeah, yeah, the lodge. Be, I suppose. Lodge. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's just it's just such a, a like immense large game to explore, which is really really nice and really professional and. and refreshing like there's there's so many games on um that, that come out of you know ags that that are, are lovely but they're really tiny you know especially when it's a one person team and the fact that you're doing it on your own it's it's really panning out to be like a, a proper like a game that sierra never made sort of thing it's <laughs> it's just i'm just amazed at how large it is and how much thought and details gone into it i absolutely love it 
And um, I've also loved trying to force it to work on Macintosh, which um, is going really well. So that'd be good for people. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. The, the reason it is so large is not from any type of planning. The lack of planning is what I'll, I'll credit the fact that the lodge is so big, because when I started making it, I just wanted to make a house with a bunch of rooms. And if I had been thinking about designing a game from the outset, I would have done it for efficiency purposes and sort of only included the rooms that are required to make a game. But I had to put bathrooms in because you need a bathroom. You need a few bathrooms in a lodge. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything in those that are, are gameplay specific, but I don't know. I kind of got carried away, as as you can see, with the uh, the cupboards and the drawers and the little couches and you can sit down. and. <laughs> But I mean, I guess it's part of the charm. Even if there are a few rooms that aren't absolutely crucial to the game, it's still kind of nice just to have like a little bit extra. It's always nice to have a game that feels a little bit bigger than the actual game itself. It's it's kind of cool just to have these rooms that just sort of exist because they were there, even if it's not necessarily vital to the story of the game. I feel like that. I, I do feel like that because people have different ways of starting a story or creating a story. And some people start with characters. Some people start with like a scene in their head that they want to create in a story. And some people, well, what I did is what some people do is I wanted to create, I created a setting and it's not because I was setting out to design a game. I created the setting because I wanted to create the art mostly. Mm -hmm. So when I created a play, when you create a place like that, and then you create things happening in those places, you're not necessarily going to have every screen is going to have some purpose. It's just because, as you said, the overall kind of encompassing world is what is what you're creating. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how I approached it. So I don't mind the fact that there are extra screens. And I do enjoy that as well. And I think that as a solo person working on my own, and I'm not contracting the art out, I'm, I can do those things. I don't have to worry about paying an artist to do needless busy work or stuff that's not going to make sense for a budget yeah no i, th I think it's particularly lovely in, in the point and click adventure especially past the genre where it's it's nice when not every room has um a specific need to fit the plot because i feel like that takes some like kind of mystery and fun out of it <laughs> where it's like if you know every room serves a purpose like specifically it's like all right you're only here for one reason what i gotta do whereas <laughs> it, i think it adds like kind of like an open world sort of feel when you can just freely explore the environment which is why i fell in love with the whole genre to begin with which, which is what i do every time i'm a guest in a new place i make sure to visit every single room <laughs> and, you know take a look through their cabinets and drawers it's it just you know it's just realism there yeah, no, yeah, these are facts. I act like I don't know my left from my right. Like, oh, yeah, bathroom is three down on the right. I'm like, I'm going to go left. <laughs> what you naughty children got in your top drawer? They always say, you know, people will check the medicine cabinets in the washroom. That's for the amateurs. I like check the attic. <laughs> I, I just nowadays I get really paranoid about toilets that like I'm like do you have to hold the handle in like what you got to do I don't want to end up like that scene in Dumb and Dumber or whatever making a mess and clogging it up it's a strange phobia of that considering it's not yet happened <laughs> but enough about me doing poos in other people's toilets <laughs> that's confidence I don't I don't know if I was a, if I was going to be a guest at a party if I would be able to do that so good on you yeah, you got to turn the like the vent on and turn the sink on for no reason. Need a lot of ambiance to make it happen, but we get there. First thing I do when I'm in a new person's place is take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So clearly, one of the really big inspirations on your game is the Colonel's Bequest, which is why I thought it would be appropriate to bring you on to talk about this really cool game, which um is 
I, I think you and I were talking about this just before the show, Julia. It's not necessarily an underrated game, but it is kind of overlooked. It's not really talked about quite as much as, say, King's Quest, Space Quest, uh, or even Police Quest. It's, a sort of, it's sort of been there kind of just for the Sierra enthusiasts. They all know about it, but it's not really hit like any real... Um, any real mainstream knowledge for as mainstream as adventure games ever really got. Would you say that Colonel's Bequest is your favorite game or is there a specific reason why you chose uh, the Colonel's Bequest to, to kind of, uh, or the aesthetic of the Colonel's Bequest to kind of uh, revolve your game around? Well, I, I would say that for the art style, at least it was my favorite. And I think part of the reason for that is I, I read an article in computer gaming world uh, back in the day I found it recently. I hadn't seen it back back in the day. But uh, it talked about how when Roberta Williams was designing a lot of these games, she would sort of do a quick sketch of, you know, for King's Quest or whatever, she'd do a quick sketch of what she wanted the room to look like. And then she would send that over to the artist who would then, you know, recreate whatever her sketch was basically. But for the Colonel's Bequest, she did a lot of um, photo reference. So she took a lot of photos. She gave the artist references of plantation houses and told them to kind of rec- you know create something from those floor plans and from her photo reference. So she didn't actually start with a sketch to give them, which I guess would get kind of really restrict their creativity more. Mm-hmm. So they they she was giving them sort of a you know a more control over what they were doing. So they were able to produce really really distinctive and moody art in in EGA and in, in the graphics that they had. And I think that's when I learned that I made me like it even more because I realized the art that I responded to the most in the Sierra games was the art that the artists were had the most freedom with. And I think that really shows in in the game. So I think that's one of the reasons it's my favorite. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I've always noticed dealing with anybody creative or artistic, it's like the more freedom you give them, the better it turns out. You know, if you keep them inside a box, they feel restricted and the end result is usually just a little uniform or whatever. So that that's actually really interesting because it, it does stand out um, artistically. You know, it's like a little darker, um, literally like in the palette. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool to know. And to to your point a second ago, Rick, where, where you mentioned that it's um just oddly not not as in the conversation. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of like you know a, a rock band puts out an album. I don't know, go like Guns N' Roses, and it's like everyone knows "Sweet Child of Mine," but there's always that one track that's like just for the real fans. And like that kind of reminds me of Bequest, where it's like the, like a gift to to the yeah. like the Sierra enthusiasts and. I was going to say maybe it's because it didn't end in Quest, but it kind of technically does end <laughs> it in does. Quest. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, me too. Actually, that was one of the things I kind of, uh, I always really liked about it was the fact <laughs> that they kind of slyly inserted the Quest in there. Right. And now, and now I can use the word bequest and, you know, it's like one of those words that's out of circulation and I get to feel intelligent. Like Rick yesterday <laughs> kept saying pedantic. I was like, ooh, it's so sexy ooh. when you talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so is there going to be a lot of uh, gameplay elements, like a lot of gameplay mechanics, other than the fact that it's like, you know, obviously taken from, you know, borrowing a lot from that sort of uh, EGA SCI era of uh, walk around text parser sort of thing? Is there like, uh, I guess board sort of, um, I guess sort of story mechanics, is there a lot that you're going to be incorporating into the Crimson Diamond from the Colonel's Bequest? Yeah, in a way, yes. Um, there... So I don't want to spoil any mechanics for people who 
who don't want anything spoiled. But I will say that in one of the segments, the section that's after the demo, uh, it's the morning, and you actually get to do a little bit of field work out, out in the lodge surroundings. So that means you get to sort of collect some tools and you get to do a little bit of analysis and learn a little bit about rocks and things. So I feel that aspect of the game is a little bit like Freddy Farkas, Frontier Pharmacist, mm-hmm. where you get to use tools and analyze things just a little bit. Right. And I think, so, I mean, with that, there's that. And then there are other things um, that the Colonel's Bequest does that I feel like I wish were explored more that they sort of touched upon a little bit. And I guess I'll go into it a little bit because I don't, I don't think it's too spoilery because it's just, it's a mechanic in the game that people will end up discovering. But the Colonel's Bequest had sort of a fingerprint mechanic a little bit. That's right. Where, where you could find a couple, couple of fingerprints here and there and uh, observe a few things. And I, and I kind of wish that they had explored that a little bit more in the game. So I'm doing that as well. So there is a bit of detecting happening. Mm-hmm. So those are the two, the two main ones are those two things. And then also, of course, in the demo, we have that the listening and the eavesdropping on people. So those are kind of the three main ways that people will be able to play. That's really cool about about the fingerprints because now that you mention it, you're absolutely right. It, it almost seemed like they finished the game and was like, "Hey, quick, go back and throw in like three or four fingerprint mm-hmm. parts because that's detective E." Um, but n- yeah, now that you mentioned it, that was really kind of inconsistent in the game, but it was well fun. So anyway, looking forward to that. That's, that's pretty cool. And and like you said, the the field work outside that that really back to the the the, the extra rooms and stuff. Like I, I really well like that idea, just being able to explore, uh, just like. Bequest, Chronos Bequest, being able to explore outside as well. That's something to look forward to. That's one thing I really liked about the Chronos Bequest. It's one thing that really stood out to me as why it's one of my favorites is that uh, granted there were a lot of ways to die and sometimes they were a little bit too random but the challenge of the game wasn't necessarily getting to the end of it. It was more just like how good of a detective were you during the time that you were playing. So a lot of it is that you know for those who haven't played it, you basically get to the end and you basically kind of uh, the, the game evaluates how well you did to actually solve the mystery of what was going on in the time that you were there, which is really kind of, it was really interesting because it wasn't really a whole heck of a lot of inventory puzzle kind of things. Like there was inventory stuff, you got to use this on that, but a lot of it wasn't like, oh, you have to do that necessarily in order to progress. Uh, or at least they downplayed that a lot. So it wasn't quite so much like uh, the standard sierra or standard any adventure game of that era where it was oh you gotta in order to progress you have to find this item use it here and then you can move forward it was a sort of like if you're in the right place at the right time time will move forward and at certain times things will happen and at a certain time the game will end and what did you learn today yeah that's that's a really good point it's kind of cool in the sense it's not necessarily like a a walkthrough suit uh walkthrough heavy game like you don't really need you know at the end of the days like some of those more brutal early egaca games where walk through at least nowadays with google feels almost necessary whereas bequest could really just be enjoyed and just kind of mm-hmm. take your time go through it see what you gather it's, it's not so much like i'm really just well stuck here what do i do i need a walk through any help i think that's a, a huge benefit honestly because yeah. needing a walk through is probably not ideal it actually kind of just occurred to me now that you know because it wasn't really in a uh a straight up quest game you know, it was the colonel's b quest sure but it wasn't like uh it wasn't say detective quest or something like that it, it's kind <laughs> of funny because it actually wasn't really a quest it was really just a detective game it was um it wasn't really an adventure of you going out and doing all this stuff it was more uh the stuff is happening around you and you got to figure it out 
Yeah, and I think yeah, Rob, Roberta, uh, Roberta Williams said in in the the computer gaming world article that I read that it was sort of an experimental format for them, where before they had done very puzzle heavy games where you in order to progress you had to solve certain things or smash two inventory items together and she wanted to focus more on the narrative of the experience and the experience and the atmosphere in the colonel's bequest and i think she she said in the interview that her and ken wanted to move toward more interactive stories so it's kind of a shame that they didn't really uh really get the chance to continue with that format i mean they did a little bit with the digger of Amon Ra, but there, there wasn't as many of these games as I would have liked to see. And the thing is about it is that type of kind of easy to get through, uh, experience the story type of game, I think is really well suited toward a game nowadays in the modern time where there are so many adventure games that are sort of easier to get through, but it's all about that experience that people get to have with the narrative. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, I wanted to make the game was because I wanted people to yeah experience a story and it's more about that than puzzles and I feel like more people in a broader audience of people would be interested in that type of thing over you know almost impossible puzzles that were created back in those days yeah that's really well said it, it can be a, a kind of polarizing you know stuck in in one little category if you force it to be you know like those really puzzle heavy ones it's almost like you have the option of how much you want to put into the game um i don't want to say emotionally but i, I guess i'll settle for that since i ain't good with words but but you know what i mean like it, it's up to you how much you want to immerse yourself in the game um on that level you know you can kind of just be pretty casual about it and get through it or you can become like full on detective making little notes with like an actual pen and paper on the side and, and i like that about it you kind of have a choice yeah i've actually funny I, i've actually seen a dagger for amon ross speed run on youtube <laughs> where <laughs> where where this guy was he was he was playing it and he he so he knew it so well that he was explaining oh well we can shave a few seconds off here we can shave a few seconds off there it, and and there are people that really get into it and i love that and i yeah. love that the people that are willing to do it but i also love people who just want to you know kind of you know noodle around and 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 just you know enjoy what what they what they have in front of them mm-hmm. And it's great. I think uh, I think it was a lot better maybe at the time than now, just because now I kind of want to spend as little time with the game as possible to get <laughs> through it. But uh, what was amazing at that time was just, you know, getting through the game and realizing that I knew almost nothing about what happened. And then, you know, the <laughs> the final little uh, uh, evaluation of saying like, okay, well, did you figure this out? Did you find this out? When did you first get here? I was sort of like, I was supposed to do these things. <laughs> and it was, uh, and I, it kind of blew my mind that like, oh wow, I I'm just so used to all these previous games where you just do the thing that moves you forward. I didn't realize that. Oh wait, I was supposed to actually be paying attention to other things. Uh, so it's kind of cool that to go back and just be like, oh wait, there's there's stuff I I could do better even, and just like find out what's going on. And there's so many questions I just totally didn't answer. And in fact, uh, one of the things I kind of needed the hint book. I had no clue about any of this until I actually read it in the hint book that there was this entire side story about events that took place well before the colonel even really took over the plantation. There's like this whole history that you find out through the clues and finding out through all this um, side detectiving. Uh, you can uncover this entire other story <laughs> that's just totally not even a part of the actual game. Yeah, that's what's beautiful about it. It's because it's not black and white, yes or no. 
it's not you did it or you didn't do it mm -hmm. right it's it's about how well you were able to understand what was going on and how much you were able to learn and how what you figured out about the characters based on what you observed so i guess we were so used to at the time it's either you did it or you didn't do it mm -hmm. you, you you can go forward or you can't but with that game it's and also with the with the dagger of amon ra it's more about the quality of how you finished it not the not just getting there yeah although you really should pick up the boot and dagger of amon ra <laughs> 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 i think oh that's goodness. one thing you absolutely need to do if nothing else yeah, i was going to say re related to your, your previous comment rick I, I had that same moment with uh with dagger of almond Ra when you you know uh, try and keep it light on the spoiler factor not that you lot ain't had like 25 years to play it <laughs> but still um and when you get to the very end and, and you have to recap everything i was like oh i wasn't paying any attention at all it's just kind of like very um direct line thinking like one thing to the next to the next and then at the end they start asking all these questions i'm like i wasn't told to be any quizzes at the end of this yes. uh, <laughs> gamefacts.com enter um so was uh was between the two games colonel's bequest and dagger of amun ra uh, and this i guess question for both of you did you play it in the order of colonel's bequest then the dagger of amun ra uh, yeah, I did. I did. Um, uh, yeah, I, mean, I can't, can't really add anything more interesting to that, except that, yeah, I did. The <laughs> well, first one and then the second one. I, I can't believe I'm talking this long about absolutely nothing. <laughs> I do that all the time. That's my entire, <laughs> that's the entire show. Uh, and how about you, Paul? Did you play Colonels first? I did. Yes, oh, okay. yes. I, I played them in order. I felt a little bit of pressure there for a second. I'm like, how, how can I add something clever? And I got nothing as well. It was a simple yes or no question, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was mostly right. just wondering because I was, uh, I was curious about if anyone had actually done it the, uh, the opposite direction and just seeing, like, was there anything that was kind of, um, you know, was there anything that we take for granted having played Colonel's Bequest first and then Dagger Von Ra? Was there anything that was uh, particularly challenging about going backwards? And I, I, I enjoy the Dagger Von Ra quite a bit. I love the the notebook that you had in that game where you can kind of ask people stuff that you discovered in the notebook. Right. I liked the art was was you know great. I can't, I can't say that I had anything against it really, except it was it was a brighter game. You're in a museum and everything's lit very well, so you you don't get that creepiness of that mm -hmm. first game, that creaky old house where stuff can just jump out of the shadows. So I, I do like the house setting more, and I do like the EGA colors more than the VGA stuff. So for me, it's then. Also, of course, the text parser for me, mm -hmm. because I'm actually curious to, f to find out if people who came to the text parser games after the point-and-click games, how they feel about those text parser games. It's hard. It's impossible for me to say because you know when you start with that with the text parser, you I, I, there's always a feeling for me at least that that's the way that I loved to play those games. And that's the way I preferred to play them. So I would say that no, I, I like Dagger. I do. I just I wish there were more. Yeah. How about you, Rick? I think it was uh, for me. It was the Curls Request was just so much more groundbreaking. Dagger of Amun Ra was basically. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say a full-on objective improvement but you know they did improve things they improved the graphics generally you know going from EGA to VGA that was generally regarded as a step up uh point and click interface at the time it was regarded as a step up from having to uh wrangle with the text parser 
so I, I think because I really grew up in the in that time, like I was playing the parser games when they were new, and then I did actually kind of appreciate when things uh, sort of took the step upwards, so to speak. Uh, I was always appreciative of the of the progress, but so I never really had an actual allegiance to oh, text parser is the way it has to be done, or I didn't think that necessarily uh, point and click was so vastly superior to text parser that I can't ever go back. So even though those were kind of like uh, regarded as improvements and step ups from uh, the Dagravam and Raw and the EGSCI era, it was just so much more groundbreaking Colonel's Bequest for all the reasons I've explained before, where it was just like this whole totally different approach from any of the other quest games that we really played by Sierra uh, whereas Dagravamara being, of course, the sequel was a continuation of that. Some might argue an improvement, but it was just it was it was different. It was like uh, even if you were to regard Dagravamara as an overall better game, uh, it is sort of the difference between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, where it's just sort of like yeah, Empire Strikes Back might have improved on a few things, but Star Wars was just this gigantic something totally different from anything that anyone had really seen at the time. That that's just my my personal feeling. I'm not saying that it exactly it exactly was a perfect analogy, but that's how it felt to me. It was a sort of this game that was just I'd never experienced anything like it, and Dagger Dagger of Amira was more of that. Yes, I also like Star Trek too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, me too. Sorry, yeah. I'm just I'm yeah. just. <laughs> Total shit with Star Wars references. I thought I'd muck it up. Um, <laughs> I, I, my problem with with that whole series was I was like just just I just missed it. So like by the time it was time to watch it, I already knew about the whole Luke thing, and I'm like you know the big twist ending was ruined for me. So I never got into them. But anyway, no, that's a good reference. And now that I'm kind of thinking about like the history, as as Julia said, like so it's impossible to say when you start with passes to judge it in reverse. And I'm thinking like the first few games I played were passes like police quest and gold rush and then i moved to like maniac mansion with the scum engine and then i played a few of the sci games and i tend to actually like them in that order like i generally prefer like an ega text parser and then i'd probably put scum second with the the nine verb thing and then probably sci if i had to rate them but as you said rick it's kind of gun to your head sort of um mm. comment to make anyway because they all have the, their own place I don't know why people aren't making any more text parser games, really. I mean, we have the technology, <laughs> clearly. <Yeah. laughs> and, I mean, and, and the thing is, 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 I mean, especially nowadays where, you know, we talk about, okay, well, text parser, are people really going to be prepared to, to type things all day about, you know, playing in, in a game? And, and I'm thinking to myself, people are typing things all day nowadays anyway. I mean, more than they ever have. So why not? Mm-hmm. And I, and I wish that there were more, and hopefully, you know, they, I mean, well, Phil Fortier, who's who's a fellow gilder, is making Cascadia Quest, which is going to be a welcome welcome addition to the text parser sort of library. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I just I wish there were, I wish there was more of it, and I guess that's part of the reason why I'm making mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you are. I've said it time and time again that you you and Phil are kind of carrying the the torch for for Sierra for for that era of Sierra as far as the, the text parsers and. You know, between your demo and then Phil's work with uh, Void Quest and, and the Snail Trek series, and like you said, the upcoming one, it's really nice to see them going forward and to have good reception. And yeah, I'm thankful for it. Uh, 
in me youth as far as having the text passes because especially then without like spell check and stuff because i actually like probably learned something about it mm -hmm. like not to use like unnecessary use and the word color and favorite and stuff because they didn't really adjust that for me but um... <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing i don't know why there aren't more mystery adventure games this is one of those things where there's so many cool ideas for games that just unfortunately don't really have much of a market uh, these days because you know the video game industry has gotten to the point where if they don't make millions and millions and millions of dollars they just don't bother like they don't consider it a success even if they make money even if they make a profit if they're not uh, if they haven't stumbled upon the next multi-million dollar annual franchise a lot of studios just don't even really care about it yeah no i, I think that you, you see that in the in the world of uh of cinema as well where it's like you know, it's safer for them to reboot a known classic because they know that their bottom line will be an acceptable figure as opposed to come up with something just mm -hmm. well creative and fun and new. I mean, we could go the we could go the episodic route, but even then Telltale Games just folded in on itself. So, I mean, and they were kind of one of the last hopes for any like actual big mainstream adventure. Game yeah, company. I was well disappointed when they collapsed. I mean, obviously for, for the actual people involved, I feel horrible for them. But on a selfish personal level, um, I was really bummed out because they just recently had announced they were going to do a Stranger Things oh. series and then they folded. And that would have been a really cool, really cool mm -hmm. platform, I think, for an adventure game. Yeah, that, I mean, it is too bad. And I feel like what what's happening now is the same kind of thing that happened in movies as with computer games, as video games, I guess. And that, yeah, I mean, you've got these huge projects with these huge companies, and they cost you know tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And so what you get is you get sort of the broadest possible general audience-pleasing, global type of thing, where you don't get something that's unique or personal or interesting you get the same thing because that's what people want to see when they go to the movie theater apparently but what you also get is you get you know smaller smaller scale productions that can and have have the ability through kind of i guess netflix you know partnerships or what whatnot that they can actually take a take some risks and for a huge company like Netflix that can, they can take creative risks mm -hmm. with a few little projects here and there. And, you know, some of them don't work, it's fine, but if some of them take off, it's great. Mm -hmm. and, I, I, and I think there's a lot more creativity in those smaller projects. And I feel the same way about, I suppose, adventure games, why we don't really see those AAA adventure games is because it's just, you can't justify it. Besides the audience, you can't justify it for the cost, but for independent you know, developers, like we're really tiny, small studios, um, there is, there's a place for that. You know, I mean, people still want those types of games, you know, but I mean, it, it's not a, it's not sort of like a huge scale operation. It has to be something more personal. And I think when it's more personal, you get to have a unique story where you get a unique character or you get some kind of, you know, a story that you might not have seen before, really. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's not a bad thing. No, absolutely. And I that's why I love the indies so much. That's why mm -hmm. I love indie gaming is because that's where you find uh, the creative, the, the more creative ideas and the things that sort of try to break the mold and try things that sort of want to take that risk. But it's just, it's unfortunate because, you know, uh, you look around at some of these, um, uh, on some of these discussion groups and it's kind of heartbreaking. You see these people who are like, oh, well, it's $40 and that's too expensive or it's $15 and that's too expensive or just, you know, uh, these games come out, you know, thirty bucks, and they're like, "Oh well, I'll wait for a sale to so it comes down to five, 
And it's just, you know, it's just, that's the time we live in now where, uh, not only is it a really niche market, but that niche or even just people in general, they just, they don't really want to spend a whole lot of money unless it's like the next call of duty and then they'll spend 80 bucks on it. Yeah. Which, which is really strange because they'll go out and buy like two or three Red Bulls or Starbucks that day that'll total like $12 or whatever. But they look at a game that's, you know, nine ninety nine. They're like, ah, let's wait till it's, you know, a little cheaper. Like, come on, mate. Like how yeah, about good people point. who did it so they can give you more of them? Well, it's a flip side of a good thing, which is that digital distribution has made it so easy to, to sell stuff on the internet and games and things that we have, you know, we have, thousands of, of people making games and, and it kind of makes it harder to stand out and it kind of makes it way more competitive in terms of pricing mm-hmm. so in a way it's in a way it's been good for indies to have sort of like this new internet world where we can easily distribute stuff without having to fight for shelf space with the big boys but at the same time it it kind of it makes people yeah it makes people think that you know i'm not going to buy something for anything more than five bucks which is you know obviously not sustainable for creators I, I think the greater accessibility, you know, for, you know, for, for creators, I mean, of course, it's always going to be the thing I cheer for. And it's, you know, whatever, whatever drawbacks there are, I mean, it's the, the positives will always outweigh the drawbacks. Um, for instance, there, there are a lot of people making narrative games nowadays uh, mm-hmm. because there are their software and that the technology is there so that it's easier for people who don't have as much of a technical background to create and I think it's awesome and, and what you when you see with that is you see a lot of different voices you see a lot of different stories and then you see the audience is also diversifying and broadening in in a really cool way I mean when I showed at wordplay in Toronto last fall there were you know a, a there's a showcase of about 25 narrative based games from all over the world that had you know there were little short little games that were really cool and different and unique and even though the the mechanics might not have been very cool and unique or you know the, you know it's not top of the line physics based textures and everything like that it was just what you got were intimate little stories that were compelling and personal and, and there were great experiences and mm-hmm. i and i think that that's a great way to to have games nowadays and, and it's something that we never really had a chance to see before so I think that about wraps it up for today. Thank you very much again, Julia, for uh, joining us. It was great to have your insight and to catch up with you again. You were the very first guest on the show <laughs> uh, way back when. It's not really even way back when. We're not even a year old, but it's uh, it is really good to have you back on and get a little a bit of an update on how things are going with your game. Thanks for having me. I, you know, I, I love. I always love doing it. It's always a pleasure. So. Oh, well, we love you. You're a sweetheart and you're super Aww. talented. And um, everyone, please check out thecrimsondiamond.com. Yes, please do. And uh, yeah, and thank you very much for joining us. And we will see you next time. Thank you.